The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us, our services are Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We would love for you to be our guests. We hope you consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting the donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, ACF Church. It actually almost feels like morning. I'm not a fan of daylight savings time, at least half the time. Uh, the other time of the year, I'm, I enjoy it because I get to sleep a little longer. I'm Jared. I am not Brian. Uh, Brian and a lot of the pastoral staff and the, the team that gets to serve and love on you guys actually went on a vacation, kind of. They went to the East Coast. They're actually visiting another church. Uh, they're visiting a church that has kind of gotten to the other side of this problem that we are currently seeing at ACF, uh, this, this issue that we're stepping into and that there's just too many of you guys. It's a beautiful problem. It's, the, it's this idea that ACF has this desire to be missional in their community, and when that happens, uh, the seats here fill in. And, and so our staff has the foresight and this desire to keep serving you guys in a very relevant way and, and to keep pushing that boundary and to keep reaching into the community. And the best way for them to do that is to get out of this island that we call Alaska and to, and to go explore and see other places that are doing this and that are on the other side of this. And so they've been gone. They're actually on an airplane right now coming back. Um, and that's where we are. So you get me. I'm Jared. I'm a pastor with the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, I've been serving here at ACF now for, I don't know, about four years. Uh, and, and I get this opportunity to share with you guys um, pretty much whatever I want because Brian's gone. So uh, we're going to talk uh, about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, something that for me is foundational in my everyday life, but it's not something that's always been that way. Um, and, and so this morning, we're, we're going to kind of just tear apart this, this desire that I've learned to build and this love that God has really imparted into me um, but it really started a long time ago for me, and, and this journey has not been easy. It's not been one that happened overnight, and it's been one that I today have to continue to force myself to be a part of it. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I don't know if you guys noticed or realized, but two weeks from now, we are going to have a helicopter flying over a high school, dumping about 30,000 eggs full of candy for a bunch of people in this community. Without you guys, that's not at all possible. Um, I know as a staff or as a leader here, I don't know if we tell you guys enough, but thank you. Uh, thank you for just being this community or this body of believers that wants to love Eagle River. I can tell you pretty, pretty, pretty okay with speaking for other people in this moment. That's not something I do often. But as a staff here, we believe that it is our missional obligation to reach into the city and the greater area of Eagle River and just share the gospel. And, and when people talk about ACF and they talk about the people that are here, that's what they say about you guys. And so thank you for that. Thank you for being people that are willing to just kind of boldly do that. That's, that's, that's pretty unique. There's not a lot of church bodies that can say that they are known for being a graceful bunch of people. The other side of that, though, is the day after. That's, that's one of my favorite days. It's, it's Easter, right? The, the Easter eggs and the helicopters and the high school and the volunteers and all the money and energy and effort that goes into that, I'm awesome to be a part of. It means nothing without the gospel. The other side of that is, is Easter morning, that next day, God willing, there will be not a seat empty. We will, be beyond, we will be beyond capacity, full of people that are here, hungry, eager, and ready to hear the gospel. 
So when Brian and I started talking about this idea of what do we do with this two weeks, man, we have this really unique opportunity where the series that we just got out of talking about this fourfold gospel that we as uh, the Christian Missionary Alliance, this is what we found our faith on, you know, this idea that Jesus is everything. How do we, what do we do with this time? We, we, we take this time on Sunday morning very, very seriously. And, and so you pray, and we talk to God, and we wait for the Spirit to just give us an idea of what it is we should be doing, and it didn't take much time at all. It was very apparent that we have this really unique, really cool opportunity to just take Easter, this, this gospel message, and make it explode, right? The gospel didn't start and end on Easter Sunday. It's always been there. It will always be here. And we should treat it that way. And so this morning, you guys are going to walk with me uh, through one of my, my favorite pastimes and probably one of the most beautiful words that I know, and that's called evangelism. So, uh, but before we dig in, um, as I, I, I believe we should always start, uh, I'd invite you guys to pray with me. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Um, God, what a beautiful body of people that you've just placed in this building, Lord, and, and how they love you and they love the people of Eagle River and, and just their community as a whole. God, you've, you've given us a unique, mission-minded group of people, God, and, and it's just it's so humbling to be a part of that. Father, I pray for myself. Lord, I pray for just the strength and the courage to, to just speak the words, Lord, that you've given me. Father, I pray that people hear your word and not mine. Lord, I, I am a timid man at heart, God, and I just pray that you, you continue to give me this boldness to speak out. Lord, as we dive into your word, Father, I, I thank you for your presence, and I ask you for your insight. Father, we love you, and it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. I'm getting over a cold, so I'm going to be sucking down water because it helps, um, so bear with me. One of, like, when you think about Satan, right, nobody likes to think about accomplishments. Like, he, does, he doesn't have any, any gifts. He's never done anything right. But you still see these little bumper sticker or memes where God, his, his greatest accomplishment is how he's, he's made it to where people no longer believe about him. They, they don't believe in Satan. That's his greatest accomplishment. I don't agree. See, the thing is, is, I think people foundationally and fundamentally, we know that there's darkness in this world. We have seen evil. Whatever you want to call it, for whatever reason, if you do not want to give it the name that it deserves, it's up to you. But the thing is, is we know that evil exists. And if you don't, look around. We all sin. Like, the, the evil is abundant in our world. I don't believe that that's a gift that we should give uh, Satan credit for. There's this other side, though. He, he has this innate ability to take this, this desire of God and, and his, his wants and his wishes for us and for our people, and he, he can peel them away. He can almost cheapen them, or at least make it seem like they're cheapened for us. Sometimes it's a very slow process. Sometimes he's very good at certain situations, just cuts them down, and all of a sudden that desire for us becomes almost like it's missing. We look at human sexuality, right? If we are believers in God, and, and we believe in the Bible, we know that God calls us to be sexually pure people. I think that that's a pretty uh, foundational part of Christianity. So what does Satan do? He's, he's peeled those layers back, right, over time. He's, he's completely made human sexuality uh, this, this eh, it's okay. You know, it, it, we have commercials on TV that are beautiful women that are selling everything but a hamburger. 
We, we have the second highest grossing movie of all time is about 50 shades of whatever is the most sexy at the time. We have this global, global issue with the, uh, the acceptance and, and the continuation of destruction in pornography. See, Satan has, has taken this, this desire of God. We can look at it and know that God wants us to be sexually pure, and he, and he makes that sin feel pretty good, and, and he just whittles away at it. That's not unique to us. There's like three or four generations of people in this room, and it's not unique to us. If we look back at Exodus, Exodus 25 says, you shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So I can tell you that God is jealous. I believe in the Bible. I believe that this is what he's saying, and I love that about my God. But if we look just a step forward into Exodus 32, we see these people, the Israelites, who were captive. They were enslaved. They were persecuted. And he heard their cries. He picked them up, and he stepped them across the sea, set them down, and loved them. They could taste God. This was a tangible existence that they had. He was present day and night. He gave them Moses to lead them. And what do they do? Exodus 32, Moses goes up on this mountain because God called him up there, and when God calls, you go. So he goes up there, and they freak out. These, these group of people that could literally see, feel, smell, taste the presence of God walk away. They take their rings off, their earrings off, they take their necklaces off, and they involve a priest in this process of melting all of it down, and they say, you need to give me a God that I can hold on to. Moses and Yahweh aren't here anymore. I need something that I can grasp. Something, in fact, I need several of them. This one might work, but this one might be better. It didn't take but a second in their life for Satan to step in and go, this doesn't mean anything. You should believe me, not him. This doesn't mean anything. Oh, they're starting to get it. There's, there's, there's a part of this that he does that hits me at my core. There, there's, a, there's this part um, of, of Satan's mission that, that really just eats me inside. And it's this idea that if I were to say, you and I are going to go into Anchorage and we're going to be evangelists, that brings up a pretty nasty image. The, the thing is, is, it doesn't bring up an image of love and going in and serving. Typically, what the images that that brings up, that brings up a bullhorn, maybe a big King James version of the, you know, the sinner beaten Bible, and we're going to go, we're going to go beat people into submission. That's what we're going to do, right? Modern technology, you know, we have Facebook and, and all these MySpace, no, it's not even modern anymore, but just all this stuff that I'm completely ignorant to. Um, I can, in 30 seconds, get online and completely belittle a race of people. I can take a religion and completely cut it down because I don't understand it or because I don't agree with it or because I think that that's what God wants. What that is, though, is that's a misrepresentation of the love of Christ. You guys, I, I am comfortable to stand here and talk about this because this is where I was a little earlier in my walk. This is where I was growing up. I didn't have a great example of how to love my neighbor. And so when I grew up, I thought that it was okay not to. As a Christian, and I would say I knew who God was and I loved God and I was in a relationship with Christ and I had read through the Bible and I, I kind of had a grasp of what I'm supposed to do, but I was still missing this section of my life. And there was, there was this point in my walk where I felt God just stopped me dead. And, and Jared, you're doing it wrong. You, you think you're doing it good, but ah, there's, this, there's this part of me that you're not getting. And there's, there's, there's this part of what I want you to do that I'm not seeing. 
That's why we're here this morning, right? That's, that's what I'm going to share with you is, is that walk that, uh, that I had to take. That walk for me um, started out a little interesting. It started out with a story uh, that it, before I, I started this journey in my life, I would have called a parable. And it's one that I remember as a kid even going to, you know, the youth group downstairs and they had the little sticker boards and they're talking about this guy who got eaten by a whale and, and it was goofy. It was a cool story. But it wasn't one that I put a lot of, uh, a lot of trust or a lot of faith into and I'm talking about Jonah. Um, at this point in my life, I really felt God just tell me you just need to read Jonah. You need to read Jonah. You need to dive into Jonah. You need to see what it is I'm trying to tell you in this story. If you don't know the story of Jonah, for all intents and purposes today, Jonah was a prophet. God asked him to do something. He said no. God won. That's really all you need to know about the man. We're not going to dig much deeper into his life other than that. Um, you know, a little, little bit about Jonah, I guess, if we're going to read the, the story that was written about him. He was historically accepted as a man. He lived, he breathed, he died. He was a prophet of not only God, but he was a prophet of Israel. He would go around this country, this great country that he had this opportunity in, and he would share uh, this great news, right? So he was under King Jeroboam II, and what King Jeroboam did is he took this northern border, this war-torn border between Israel and Damascus, and he had this political ability to go in there and stop this war, so if you can imagine, Jonah was going into these villages or these towns, and he was sharing this news about how, how all of a sudden there's jobs, and there's money, and, and we have extra food because we're not trying to feed soldiers that are actively serving. Your husbands are going to come home, right? He could go in, and he could tell a family, your sons, the sons that you sent out to the warfront, they're coming home, and now they can grow your, your food. You're going to have prosperity. This was a good time for Israel. So Jonah, he had this ability to go in and just share this awesome stuff. He had a pretty good, pretty good gig. The other side of that, though, is he was a prophet of God. And, and so for me, the best way that I can understand it, and I'm sure his tactic was a little different, um, but he would go in and he would explain to them all this good prosperity stuff, and then he'd be like, you know, that, that golden cow that I walked by when I came into your village, that thing that you guys are worshiping, God's jealous. You should probably get rid of that. In fact, let's go burn it now. Or he would, he would you know, explain to them the, the decrees and, and the desires of God as he went into these villages. And he had this beautiful doorway opened because of the time period that he was in. And so when I look at this life of Jonah, I see this man that's really chosen to be the hands and the feet and at times the word and the voice of God. He's a pretty awesome guy. Very lucky. And then I started reading the story of Jonah. Jonah 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now Jonah rose and fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. I read that, and I start to see a different side of Jonah. And, and I, it really becomes remarkable to me that a man that lived thousands and thousands of years ago still had the same choices that I do, the man standing here, when God asks me to do something, I can step in, I can grab on, I can hold tight and wrestle my way through whatever it is God is asking me to do. I can be faithful and obedient, or I can do what Jonah did, and I can walk away. I, I can push God's desires aside because I need to do something else, right? That's, that's my side of it. I, I, I can feed my own desires. See, Jonah was missing a piece that I absolutely was forgetting, and it's this idea that evangelism, man, it's a gift, 
And it's a privilege. It's a gift. That was a hard one for me. Because the, the thing is, is I didn't look at it, that this idea that spreading the gospel was a gift. And so when I had to do it, be honest with you, and I think this is kind of the, the right time, um, I, it was painful and awkward. It was something that I didn't want to do. It made me cringe. Why, why would I want to go and talk to somebody about my God, my Yahweh, my, my believer, my foundation in my life when I don't necessarily agree with them? That was hard for me. That was something that I really had to just involve God in that whole process. And, and the other side is that it, just the fact that it was a privilege, really, it eluded me. It was, it was never on my mind. It was something that was distant, and it was something that, that I just didn't want to be involved with. Stepping into this understanding of what it actually is really started making me dive in and try to dig in and, and figure out what it is, um, like, what does God need of me in this process? Why, why does God need me to help spread his kingdom? Why, what is, why does God need me? And I'll tell you, when I, was, when I was going through that and I was thinking about that, all that was was my ego. I shouldn't have had to get past Genesis 1 in the beginning. Plain and simple. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The man that created everything that I know, everything I can touch and feel, and everything I don't know, everything that I won't know or grasp and have an understanding of truly until I am past this world, he doesn't need my help. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. There's this whole other side to it. And it was something that I really had to learn to understand and appreciate is that he asks us to do it. This is an invitation. This is, this is the man that, that he is inviting me. John 15, 14, he's calling me his friend. And he's inviting me into this process. He's asking me, not because it glorifies me, it's painful, but because it glorifies him. And he wants that, and that's his desire for us. So I, I, I started trying to get to this point of why. 2 Corinthians 5.20, therefore we are ambassadors of Christ. We, we are asked to do this because he wants us to be his representatives. It's a gift. There's, there's this part in this whole process where it has nothing to do with us. We are just told to step out boldly into our world and just let him come out. Right? We're, we're not being our personal ambassadors. He didn't ask us to be the Messiah. Jesus did that. He's just asking us to tell people about it. It's actually very simple. Our, our role in the whole process is very, very limited. So I, I get to this point, and, and I start to, to get to that, my own personal doubts, right? Man, I, I have doubts. And I, and, and I really start diving into my own mind and my own, my own thought patterns, and I, I start wondering... There's a lot of people in this world. How is it me that's qualified? How is it me, this, this broken sinner with doubts and disbelief, how is it me that is qualified to do this? Why isn't somebody else? Why, why aren't they more, more adapt? Or why, why haven't, why, maybe I haven't had the right training. And it wasn't until I saw the grace found in Romans 3.23 that it says, for all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God, all of us. Not just me. You guys, I know who I am. I see my own reflection. When we look in a mirror, we see the worst of ourselves. I get that. But it's beautiful because this is saying that it's not just me, it's all of us. That we all are in that same place. And for me, that meant Jonah was in that same place too. Looking at this, 
you know, I, I had to pull my man card out because I'm a very um, just step A, step B, step C kind of thinker. Like, I, I need direction in my life, and I'm okay admitting that. And, and so I, I had to come up with this, you know, what is required of me? You know, and once I, once I realize that I'm, I'm chosen to do this, not because of me, that God is literally asking the imperfect to be an ambassador for the perfect, I had to figure out what it was and how I could get there. It was really at this point in my walk and this, in this point in the season of my life that I, I started trying. You know, I, I, I could feel this urgency to get out and just spread this news of God. In, in Jonah, right? God's telling me to dive into Jonah. Jonah 1.3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to go into it. To go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This made me think very, very quickly that, you guys, we're too busy. Jonah was making a decision to do the same thing that in my life I had done for years. And that's when God gave me something that he wanted me to do. When he had asked me to do something, I would find something else to do instead. If I fill all of my time with my own personal desires, how can I live out the desires of Christ? You know, we, we need to have margins in our life. We need to have margins for our personal life, our families, our homes, everything that we have responsibility of, we need to have margins of. And one of those things that we need to have margins for is God. We have to be intentional about placing God in the appropriate place in our lives. And what Jonah is doing is the same thing that I did for years, and that's giving God the skinny little window, and then when it's uncomfortable, I would just close it. See, the thing is, is I was missing this idea that Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among all nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, you guys, I get busy. We are probably the busiest generation of people ever. Some of that's perceived. A lot of it isn't. We have jobs. We have requirements at home. I have a wonderful wife. I have I have two kids. I have two dogs. Like, I get busy. I work 50 hours a week as a paramedic. I serve here probably 15 to 20. I get busy. But you have to be intentional with the time that you do have. And, and you have to, to be intentional to not just utilize the time that you have, but utilize it correctly. Go to God. Pray with God. Look at Jesus sitting on the mountain in Matthew 14, 23. And, and there's this beautiful example of God who, in my opinion, everything Jesus did was, was to give me a demonstration of how I'm supposed to live my life. He was here very, very short term. So when he climbs up on that mountain to pray, man, that's, that's a direct example of what it is that I am supposed to do. And this was a very intentional action that he did. He went up there, and he wasn't up there for five minutes. It's not like he went up there and blessed his food or prayed with his kids before bed. This was an all-night, like, marathon for him. This is the example that I'm supposed to have. I am supposed to be relational with God because that's what Jesus has showed me to do because that's what God wants me to do. If I don't make these boundaries, if I don't pour this into my daily life, I can't do anything else. If I don't give God the opportunity that he deserves to work through me, then I'm just going to work myself through me, and that's not good. That's not a happy place to be. Jonah did what I did for a long time, and, and he, he went the opposite direction. And this, this brings us to my second topic, and it's that we need to be obedient. Luke 12, 48, everyone to him much was given, of him 
much will be required. You guys, we've been given no greater gift than the gospel, plain and simple. Life is neat, right? We're born, we die. If that was it, that would be a pretty awesome gift. You know, worm, food, and dust. That's, that's not it. That's not what we are. That's not what we were created for. That that we see is so small. We have this, this gift of eternity through the gospel. And, and we have no greater responsibility with that gift than to hand it out freely. It's just, it's something that we, we need to do from our core out. For some people, that means traveling the world. That's not everybody's calling in life. I've tried. I've not been able to go. I've come to believe that God just doesn't want me leaving Anchorage or Eagle River. Um, so what do I do, right? I, I be intentional about the time I have. I go hunting and fishing with people that aren't believers because I love them. Because God has given me a passion and a heart to reach into people and a passion and a heart to get out of, out of town. So I involve the two together. I bring my life and my world and I expose Christ in it. It's not a very hard thing to do. It's not an action that we need to do. It's, it's just opening up and letting them out. It's so easy. Jonah, we, we see Jonah at this part of the story where, where he, he continues to fight it, right? Instead of, instead of going north and, and going and, and talking to this 120,000 people that were absence of eternity, from God. This is 120,000 souls. That's about how big Nineveh was that were bound to spend eternity in hell. And God was asking Jonah to go up there. And instead of doing that, he went the opposite direction. And we still see in this part of Jonah uh, that, that he's fighting. And I love this because one of my favorite ways to describe God is the maker of the wind. And in this part of Jonah, we really see that. And it's Jonah 1.4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea and lightened it for them. You guys, when I read that, I see fear. These guys were afraid. If they would have shown up at their destination without their cargo, one of two things would have happened. They would have had to repay it. These are mariners. I doubt they could. Or they would have been killed because it would have been the assumption that either it was stolen or they gave it away or they've kept it, or they've sold it. But it would have been this idea that they've done something wrong with the goods that they were given. These men were raising their kill. They thought they were going to die. And so they were willing to give up everything that they knew and everything that they knew that they were going to accept or receive in this moment. They, they had a glimpse. For just a moment in their lives, they had this, this glimpse of this imminence of God. For them, it was through death. They were going to meet somebody one way or another, and that's where they were. When I look at this, I, I see Jonah starting to, to grasp what's going on. And, and you, you see this, this, this side of him where you, you almost have this change, where he's starting, starting to listen. Jonah 1.9 says, And then he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will be quiet down for you. For I notice because of me that this great tempest has become, come upon you. Man, he's taking responsibility. 
You, you see this, this transition in Jonah, and you see this, this, he starts grasping what's going on, and he's, he's being disobedient, and you see where he's actually taking responsibility for his obedience, and I pretty sure that Jonah thought that when he was going to be thrown into this sea, this raging torrent that he was in, that he was not going to survive. He was literally saying, give my life away and yours will be saved. Now, we kind of get to the point of the story that for me was really hard. The rest of this is, it's just the words, I get it, I can chew that up. We get to the point of the story where, where Jonah's, he's thrown into the sea. They do, they, they throw him in. And there's, there's this imagery of a whale. And, and, and this, this great fish comes up and eats Jonah. For me, that was really hard because I believe that the Bible is the spoken words of God. And so when I see this, it makes me think that maybe this is just a story. This picture, that's from Sitka last year. We Alaskans, we know there are fish that are big enough to eat us. That's a little whale. That's a, that's a little guy. They get much bigger than that. This guy survived. Um, just, yeah, that's important. Just like Jonah also survived. The, the whole point, and it's a great picture. I love that picture. But the, the whole point is that we can't put God in a box. If, if the Bible says that something happened and it doesn't make sense to us, we don't just need to dismiss it for, for being fallible. The thing is, is God is so much bigger than that. If God said something happened and we don't understand it, we need to go, wow, God's bigger than I am. You just, you got to let God out and play. He loves that. Let him out. The thing is, is when Jonah is in this, this whale, when he's in the belly of Shalil, as he, as he calls it, something happens. And, and we see Jonah going to this part of where he is that, that he really should have started. And, and I don't know if it was fear or thankfulness, but you see Jonah start to pray. And, and I think that that's really where, where we really should start. And Jonah 2, it says, I called out to the Lord out of distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Shalil, I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am diving away from your sight, yet, yet I saw, shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Seaweeds wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit. O oh, Lord my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, but I with a voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We, we see this change, and and it's not perfect, and it's really not beautiful, but it's a change. And we, we see this continuation in the process in Jonah. At Jonah 7, it says, When my life is fading away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into the holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols, and he's talking about the Ninevites, forsake their hope of steadfast love. Like I said, it wasn't beautiful. It wasn't perfect. You guys were not perfect. But the thing is, at least Jonah's at this point where he's starting to see that he needs to make communication with God about what God has asked him to do. And then Jonah steps up, and after that he says, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. And, and, and you almost see this little bit of arrogance in Jonah, and, and I can say that I've been there. You know, it, it, you see this, this idea that, that Jonah's like, ah, but I, you know, I'll do it, what I'm supposed to. 
you know, I've, I've been there. I've said those words and, and not understood what it was that I was telling God. And he closes with probably the most beautiful thing you can say to God. It says, salvation is yours and yours alone. He gives God this authority that he, that he deserves. And, and to me, when I read this, I, I can see that Jonah's desires are starting to fall in line. And it started with where we need to. And that's this idea that we have to pray. You guys, our, our compassion, our hearts, they don't align with God's. They just don't. We're people. He's not. He's, he's perfect. We're imperfect. We, we need to ask God into our lives and to soften our hearts and to give us the ability to see the people that he places in front of us. I guarantee you that you have divine appointments in your life every day. And, and the thing is, is we need to ask God to not just recognize those, but to have the courage to grab on and to wrestle with them. And, and to, to not have that fear or that desire to run away. I know for me personally, I have to look at John 14, 13. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The single most amazing thing God has ever done for me is offer me my salvation. That's it. I, I have to be faithful enough to know that when I'm sharing that salvation, that man, I'm just bringing glory to God. That's what he wants. That's what he craves. That's what he hungers. And it comes out of this relationship that he's offering to us. Jonah ended where we needed to start. Even before we start this process of, of, of getting into the world and trying to talk to people and share God's glory, we have to start with prayer. You know, the, the thing is, this ugly wingback chair over here, um, it's empty. And that's, that's the whole point, right? Because that, that chair is not just here. That, that, it's here to represent that the fact that there is a, a spot in heaven that is also empty. You know, I, I, yesterday morning, we, uh, we have this little puppy. He's about seven pounds. He's about this big. And I, I can remember being terrified because he ran away. And I can remember, you know, I'm, I'm the dad, right? And, and being just broken because I was sick with grief because this little thing that I had responsibility for is probably not coming back. It's a dog. And I was nauseous. I'm watching my kids walk around the neighborhood crying. My wife is tearful. I'm tearful. And this little thing that I have responsibility for, I wasn't able to hold on to. That's a dog. Imagine how God feels when one more person doesn't join his kingdom. It's got to be sickening. We have, we have this holiday coming up that offers us a wonderful opportunity. We have this holiday that literally the word evangelism stands for Easter. Evangelism means gospel. That's what Easter is. On your seats or now on the floor, there's these little white uh, key fobs or papers or key, I don't know what they're called, little key things. Um, as we, as we go into this next step and, and we start worshiping and we, we take in the blood and the body and we, we start in this remembrance process, I invite you guys to pray. Ask God to, to show you what this divine intervention is and, and to give you a name, maybe a family, a coworker, a loved one. Maybe it's somebody here. There are people here that this is their first and last time that they will have that opportunity. Bring them back. Ask God to expose to you somebody who desperately needs the love and grace of Christ.
Write that name on that piece of paper. I don't care. Put an initial, Sanskrit. It doesn't matter to me, but whatever it is that will remind you to pray for that person. Over the next couple of weeks, that's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for them. I want you to, to ask God to continue to give you that courage, to give you the strength, and, and to just continue to give you the opportunity to, to be missional with that person or that family. And then invite them in. Invite them in. Bring them to the egg drop. That's a pretty safe place, right? It's at a high school. It has nothing to do with a church. Got a helicopter and candy. That's pretty awesome. Invite them to Easter. I don't know if you guys realize this. Christmas Day, we had 5% of Eagle River's population here and listening for the gospel. I will tell you, the day after Christmas, Eagle River changed. Let's make it six. Let's make one more. We can't let one get by. That's, that's the belief of this church. That's it. That's, that's what I want to pray for today, you guys. That, that's, I, there's nothing else I need to say. If you guys can just pray with me, I'd love that. Father, you have, you've created a beautiful people <laughs> filled with just dirty people, and I love it. it it's, it's this great place, God, where you've called us and you've asked us to share in this gift and, and to get out and to share you, God. Father, I, I thank you for this opportunity to share. Lord, I thank you for this testimony that you've given me, God, and it's this chance to just expose you through my life. Lord, I pray as, as we go into this next week, God, that you, you not only give this group, this body of repentant believers, God, that not that you give them courage, Lord, but you also give me the courage to do this. Father, I pray for those divine appointments, and I pray for the, the realization when they're happening, God, and, and the courage to grasp onto them. Lord, this gift, it's, it's so, so beautiful because it it's glorifies you, and it really has nothing to do with us. God, I, I just, I pray that we can do that in our lives. Just glorify you, God. Father, we love you and you are so beautiful and perfect. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.